The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hello, my name is Ben Bowler from OneGod.com. Together with our partners at the Interspiritual Network and Presence International, we are thrilled to welcome you to this 13-part radio series called The Convergence, uniting the tribes in the interspiritual age. The rest of this decade and the next few decades represent a critical juncture in the evolution of our planet. At a time when consciousness is rapidly expanding, multiple crises on a global scale are also escalating. The sense of urgency is palpable. The question is this, will we wake up and will we grow up just in time to turn this around and navigate our way safely through these straits? If we are to accomplish this, two things are clear. We must do it all together, and we must do it now. It is in this spirit that we present to you The Convergence, a journey of waking up and growing up with Dr. Kurt Johnson and friends, together with some of the world's leading philosophers, thinkers, artists, activists, visionaries, and intergenerational leaders. We explore the cutting edges of spirituality, consciousness, ecology, social justice, and a host of interconnected fields, all essential in moving our planet forward towards a peaceful and positive future. It is my pleasure to introduce to you the series host, Dr. Kurt Johnson. Thanks, Ben Bowler, for that introduction to the Convergence series. This is your host, Dr. Kurt Johnson of the Inner Spiritual Network. On this episode, in honor of the upcoming Martin Luther King Day national holiday, we're really happy to be hosting this episode entitled Growing Up, an Uncommon Conversation on Race. Our co-host today is Myra Jackson. Myra holds the title of Diplomat of the Biosphere, awarded by the Stockholm Resilience Center. Her primary work is focused on the planetary commons, culture of peace initiatives, and public policy affecting the wellness of people and the planet. Linking global and local policymaking, she is Senior Advisor for Whole Earth Civics and the Geoversus Foundation and a founding Wisdom Council member of the Gaia Field Project. In her role as the United Nations Permanent Representative in both New York and Geneva, Myra serves as the focal point on climate change for the Commons Cluster of NGOs. Also, she recently facilitated Oprah Winfrey's Belief Series Initiative as an official program of the United Nations hosted by the President of the 70th General Assembly in October 2015. Now, Myra will be dialoguing with three really wonderful guests today, so to give her the maximum of time to pursue this important discussion, I'm really happy now to turn the program over to Myra Jackson, who will be your co-host for the remaining segments until I join in at the end. So, Myra, this is really exciting, and just please go ahead. Thank you, Kurt and Ben. You know, it feels quite auspicious to co-host Episode 11 in this remarkable series during a moment where we reflect upon the valiant life of Dr. Martin Luther King. And 
So in this spirit, I would like to introduce Voice America listeners to our first guest, Tim Wise. Tim was named one of 25 visionaries who are changing your world by Utney Reader. And Tim is one of America's most prolific public intellectuals, and I can tell you by reading the volumes of books that uh, I am hit by uh, this prolific writer. His critically acclaimed books, high-profile media interviews, and year-round speaking schedule have established Tim as an invaluable voice in any discussion on race, and multicultural democracy. Three, really, or more decades of activism, beginning with divestment from apartheid South Africa in the 80s and his work in Louisiana to end racism and Nazism in the 90s, Tim Wise is considered one of the great public moralists in America today. In his recent book, Under the Affluence, he brilliantly engages the roots and ramifications of radical inequality in our nation today. With clarity, passion, and eloquence, he demonstrates how America's myth of personal entitlement based on merit is inextricably linked to pernicious racial bigotry, and he points the way to greater compassion, fairness, and economic justice. So, listeners, you can learn more about Tim at www.timwise.org. Tim, welcome to the Convergence Series. Love to hear you say hello to the the listeners. Hi, and thank you very much for having me. I appreciate being here. Really good. Listen, you know, I want to jump right in to, to really reflect on your current book, Under the Affluence, and, um and just draw, you know, just draw from you uh, some of your ideas. And I want to begin with this, uh, this piece in the book, this statement that goes like this. The problem is not a culture of poverty. Rather, it is a culture of predatory affluence. And also add in this piece so that you can reflect on this. I want you to speak more to this. This is all really covered well in the uh, in under affluence. The idea of cruelty as a national rhetoric, uh, rhetoric that has become a policy norm. Sure. There's so much here, well, but I want to begin with just those ideas, Tim. Sure. And here, one of your rapid fire. Um, resounding kind of explanations to sum up under the affluence and what you're offering. Well, I mean, the idea, obviously, uh, in the book was was first to sketch out the depths of, of inequality, particularly economic inequality in our country, both generally and specifically racially, since most of the work I do is obviously focused on race and, and um, uh, the power of, of uh, white supremacy as a system. Uh, it was also, though, to trace this history and, and how this narrative developed, which we are so familiar with now, um, this notion that poor people are the problem, that the culture of poverty is the problem. We have pathologized those at the bottom of the economic ladder, even as we glorify 
uh, and venerate and valorize the people at the top. Um, and I wanted to have the, the reader understand the history of that. In some ways, that goes back to the colonial period. It's very much part of the sort of reactionary elements of the Protestant work ethic, this idea that, you know, those who don't have, don't have because of their own laziness or their own sinfulness or whatever, right? And the, the, the theories have changed over the generations. But, you know, beginning in the early part of the 20th century, and for a very brief moment, certainly during the Great Depression, there was this this moment where there was a greater deal of compassion and a recognition that sometimes the market doesn't work, and sometimes hard work isn't enough, and sometimes we collectively have to do things uh, to uplift one another. Now, as I point out in the book, that mentality did not extend to people of color. The New Deal programs were overwhelmingly white-only programs, so it was certainly racially biased in that regard. But there was at least a moment where the narrative of cruelty toward the poor was sort of flipped on its head, and we understood the problem really was the predatory risk in the 1920s. It was the robber barons of the early 20th century. But beginning in the 60s, the the mentality flipped back again. So we went from having that culture of compassion, at least partial, uh, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, at least toward white working class folks, again, not toward people of color. And by the 60s and 70s, when people of color began to gain access to some of the same programs, some of the same job programs, income support programs, health care programs, retirement programs that white folks had always had access to, that's when all of a sudden we got back to this culture of cruelty again, and we started saying, oh, it's bad to help people in need. They're lazy. That's why they don't have a better job. That's why they don't have more income. That's why they can't afford education or health care. So it was very much, it was very much tied to that idea so it was very much tied to this idea that when people of color began to gain access to those programs, that that was when government intervention or the collective intervention on behalf of those in need became something to look down upon. And so we, we've gone back and forth from compassion to cruelty. And for the last 40 years, there's been this constant rhetoric, very much mainstream uh, within American politics and commentary, that looks down on those in need and valorizes the rich. And it really has a lot to do with our sort of secular gospel in this country, which is that wherever you end up is all about your effort. And I talk about in the book, and I demonstrate, I think, both historically and in the contemporary period, how faulty that is, how obviously it isn't true that there are 65 people on the face of the planet who are worth more than three and a half billion in terms of their human value, but they certainly have more wealth. 65 people have as much wealth as the bottom half of the people on planet Earth, not because they're better, not because they work harder, uh, but because of circumstances of birth. And so what I wanted to do with the book was really upend this theory that the problem is the culture of poverty and begin to think about how a culture of affluence and a myth of meritocracy keep racial inequality, keep gender inequality, keep economic inequality in place. Excellent, Tim. Thank you. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to Stop for a break, and we'll come back and continue the conversation with Tim Wise. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Hello. We hope you are enjoying this series on the Convergence, uniting the tribes in the interspiritual age. For those of you looking to take a deeper dive into any of this amazing material, Dr. Kurt Johnson has created an entire online learning program called Interspiritual Mastery. 
and we are thrilled to be hosting this course on our new education platform, One God Academy. The Interspiritual Mastery Program will take you on a guided journey through the amazing developments in spirituality, ecology, indigenous wisdom, and more, giving you a window seat to the dawn of the interspiritual age. For more information on this exciting new program, please go to onegod.com. That's the number one, G-O-D.com. And follow the links to the Academy. Join us in changing the world through the work of waking up and growing up. And let us all strive to unite the tribes in this interspiritual age. Hi friends, this is Ben from OneGod.com with a special announcement. We hope you're enjoying this radio series, The Convergence, a journey of waking up and growing up with Dr. Kurt Johnson and friends. Many of the ideas that have gone into making this series had their original expression through Kurt's landmark book, the coming into spiritual age. It's a modern day spiritual classic full of inspired thinking and heralding an optimistic future right within our grasp. As a special gift to listeners of The Convergence, Dr. Johnson is giving you the first four chapters as a gift. In these first 50 pages, Kurt and co-author David Ord lay out the framework for their grand, integrated, interspiritual vision, a vision that Ken Wilber says might very well change your world. To get your free download of this incredible gift, just go to onegod.com, that's the number one, G-O-D.com, and follow the links. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are tuned in to The Convergence. You may connect with our program today by calling toll-free 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send us an email to info at onegod.com. That's I-N-F-O at the number one, God.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to The Convergence. This is Myra Jackson, and I'm here talking with Tim Wise. So, Tim, you've just given us one of your lightning rod summaries of, of what you're attempting to do and under the affluence. And we're going to continue uh, chatting with you throughout uh, this episode. But I want to sort of, I want to bring in an aspect here because in the third part of your book, you really do address what you feel is the way to rebuild a culture of compassion and equity and defeat the culture of cruelty. And so what I'd like to do is, before we move on to talk more about that, and perhaps you will in this segment, I want to go back to someone who inspires you greatly. Uh, you know, I've, I know that you've drawn a great deal of inspiration from the writings of that fierce critic of American society, James Baldwin. And Baldwin fervently believed we could do better, we could be better, and achieve our country. Indeed, rather than just, just in, you know, word, and, and uh, he, he spoke about this idea of redemption being possible if we committed to becoming fully human. And this is what I'd like to really move toward, is the way out of this conundrum, this deep systemic moral depravity that we have experienced throughout our history. What do you believe Baldwin meant by becoming fully human? 
Well, it's always dangerous, I think, to try to interpret uh, yeah. the, the genius of James Baldwin uh, when you're not James Baldwin. But I think it's fair to say, with a, a careful reading of his work, that he was really issuing sort of two challenges, and they were the connected challenges. One, of course, was a challenge to America to become what it claimed it to be, and, and highly related to that was a challenge to white America. I mean, most of his writing uh, was aimed, particularly writing on race, was aimed at white America, whom I think he understood better than most white people did. Uh, as a you know, a, a black man growing up in Harlem, he understood whiteness far better than the white folks who lived whiteness did. And what he said was that white folks, who he referred to in one particular stanza as, you know, these innocent people are trapped in a history they do not understand, and until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. What he was saying was that white folks are trapped in the lie, really the lie of whiteness, because Baldwin understood that European people weren't white until they came to the United States and became white for the purpose of oppressing black folks and indigenous peoples. Uh, whiteness was something created for the purpose of oppression. It was not a, a an organic thing. It was not something that European people were before there was a particular social and economic need to create it. And so when he talks about becoming human, you know, I, I think what he is casting aside all of these shibboleths of race and tribe and nation. He actually has a particular statement that I think sums it up pretty well in, in uh, The Fire Next Time, where he says that um, life is tragic simply because the earth turns and the sun inevitably rises and sets, and one day for each of us the sun will go down for the last, last time. And he says the whole root of our trouble, the human trouble, is that we will sacrifice all the beauty of our lives, we'll imprison ourselves, in totems, taboos, crosses, blood sacrifices, steeples, mosques, races, armies, flags, and nations in order to deny the fact of death, which is the only fact we have. And then he says, it seems that to me that one ought to rejoice in the fact of death, ought to decide indeed to earn one's death by confronting with passion the conundrum of life. One is responsible to life. And so what I think he's saying is that to become human is to cast aside those things, or, the, or not, not cast aside those things themselves, but the, the devotion to nation, to tribe, to religion, to crosses and mosques and steeples, which keep us divided. It's one thing to acknowledge one's identity. It is another to become so wrapped up in it, as white America certainly has when it comes to race, um, as to create almost uh, an idol of whiteness. And so I think that was what Baldwin, and it's certainly what I mean when I talk about becoming human. I think for those of us who are white, uh, it is impossible to be a full human being as long as one clings to whiteness, clings to the to the uh, the uniform, the epidermal uniform and the social meaning given to the to the epidermal uniform in this country. Thank you so much for that. Um for really giving it a shot. I know it's unfair to ask that such a question. However, you know, you have proceeded in a way that uh, really shows that you have taken on Baldwin's uh, inquiry, this deep questioning around uh, what it means uh, to, to move, as you say, toward this culture of compassion. I can't speak to that enough as uh, em- emblematic of this becoming fully human or beginning this exploration. I'd like to really move to bring on our next guest and continue to listen, Tim. We've got two other guests to join this conversation and to build upon uh, the conversation that we've started. Uh, 
Listeners, joining the conversation with Tim and me is Itoy Rishnal, a friend and exploratory ally on the global stage. Come on, uh, Itoy, just come on and, and make sure you're live with us and, and ready to join in on the conversation. I want to take a quick moment to give a, a cursory version of your extensive experience. Itoy is president of Community Advocacy Partners, a social impact firm that builds cross-sector partnerships between entertainment companies, philanthropy, governmental agencies, and communities to achieve large-scale impact. A 20-year history as a respected strategist, she has led campaigns around such projects as Concussion, Sony Pictures Entertainment, Belief with VP uh, of OWN, that is the Oprah Winfrey Network, and Selma with Paramount Pictures the Democratic National Committee, American Federation of Labor, Congress of Industrial Organizations, that's AFL-CIO, and New York State Working Families and New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, to name just a few. Etoy, you've been listening to the conversation with Tim, and you come to this conversation with a unique set of experiences and, of course, it's grounded in organizing social justice initiatives and, and so much more. But I'd love for you to wear the hat that's most comfortable for you today and give me a sense of what you're hearing from the discussion so far that you'd like to build upon, and we'll continue this conversation to get into some of the areas that you'd like to add to this discussion. Turning it over to you, what are your thoughts at this moment? Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Myra, for uh, <clears throat> inviting me to join the conversation today. Um, thank you to um, the uh, co-host and guests uh, today for this, this very pertinent uh, conversation. A couple pieces that really stand out to me <clears throat> that Tim hit upon and, and um, the one that stands out the most strongly is this culture of compassion. Um, I think one of the challenges we have today um, when you think about uh, the idea of growing up as a country, specifically as the U.S., and I would actually argue the world, but specifically within the U.S., one of the challenges that we have today is an unwillingness to really live in truth and to really face, um, you know, so to speak, some of the, the inner demons, inner wounds um, that are tied into the history of this country around race, around slavery, um, around oppression, at, honestly, at all levels, whether it's class, um, whether it's gender, sexuality, um, religious uh, preferences, et cetera. Uh, we have a really profound history as a country of not being willing to face the deeper truths um, around who we are and who we've been. And I think that that has, is what we are seeing when we look at our, our uh, current state today, um, recent elections and just, you know, the rising backlash that we see. I think we are looking at a country that is not willing to face itself. And until we are able to do that from a place of compassion, but also from truth and honesty, I don't think we'll ever be able to heal. We'll never be able to fully move um, into being a truly post-racial um, society, society that... Well, 
thank you so live the values that so much. you know we've uplifted for yes, so long. I, I thank American you so much. Ideal. We'll take that conversation into the next segment. Right now, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Eat Toy Original and Tim White. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Hello, everyone. This is Ben from OneGod.com. We hope you are enjoying this series, The Convergence, Uniting the Tribes in the Interspiritual Age. For those of you looking to take a deeper dive into any of this amazing material, Dr. Kurt Johnson has created a magnificent online learning program called Interspiritual Mastery. And we are thrilled to be hosting this course and our new education platform, One God Academy. The Interspiritual Mastery program will take you on a guided journey through amazing developments in spirituality, ecology, indigenous wisdom and more, giving you a window seat to the dawn of the interspiritual age. For more information on this exciting new program, please go to onegod.com, that's the number one, G-O-D.com, and follow the links to the Academy. This is Ben from OneGod.com and Worldweaver Spiritual Adventures with a very special invitation to join us on an upcoming interspiritual tour of India called The Mystic Express. We are so excited about this program and we've been working towards it for many years. Together with key hosts and luminary guests from the Convergence Radio series, we invite you to take the trip of a lifetime through the deeply mystical land of India, source to so many of the world's great spiritual traditions. You will be personally guided by learned masters through the traditions of Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism and Sufism. More than just an incredible learning journey, this promises to be a moving, soulful experience that will transform each of us and the way we see the world. This facilitated mystical journey is leaving Delhi on March 14, 2017 and finishes up back in Delhi on March 27. All aboard! For more information, go to worldweavers.com and look for the Mystic Express. World Weavers, Adventures of the Spirit. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are tuned in to The Convergence. You may connect with our program today by calling toll-free 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send us an email to info at onegod.com. That's I-N-F-O at the number one, God.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to The Convergence. This is Myra Jackson, and I'm here talking with Etoy Original and Tim Wise. He's with us as well. We're going to continue the conversation. Uh Toy, you know, you left us with the the idea of the post-racial society, and uh, I know that you've had a chance to to as an organizer work in many arena. What are your thoughts? What do you think? Here we are, um, uh, you know, in the post-election environment, and we're far from the vision of the post-racial society. Give me your thoughts. Where where are where do we go next, and, and what do you feel? may have, uh, what, what might we have missed, I suppose, uh, in the opportunity I, that came to us eight years ago? Yeah, I think one of the challenges <clears throat> that we face as a country is, is probably the same 
challenge that any individual who is embarking on a path of, of very uh, serious transformation faces. Uh, you have a vision of who you want to be and maybe even the face that you show the world, right? And for America, it is we are the land of liberty, equality, justice. Um, you know, we <clears throat> are the exception. You know, we are the country that is uh, the leader, the thought leader in terms of, you know, bridging new pathways and being open and accepting of all people. And I think it's a wonderful set of ideas. It's a wonderful vision to aspire to. But if there is no real commitment, internal commitment, <clears throat> or let me actually take a step back. If there's no real understanding of what it takes to actually live those values, then they just become words, right? And, and sometimes they can become empty words. <clears throat> now, a lot of amazing things have happened over the last, what, 200 so years um, since the founding of this country based on people striving to live up to those ideals. <clears throat> but in the meantime, what I've seen a struggle with is that really fundamental idea of what does it truly mean to be in a society where every person is treated equally, where every person is actually genuinely valued <clears throat> and holds the same weight. Um, I think one of the challenges we face as a society is until we're willing to do that very, very, very deep work Honestly, at the individual level, we're all really looking at who we say we are um, and who we really are and just really closing that gap, right? Closing the gap between the vision and the actuality. I think that's what we're um, being called to do as individuals. I think it's what we're being called to do, honestly, as a society. I think Donald Trump's election um, is probably the best reality check, um, that many of us in America could ever have as to the gap between who we say we are and who we really are. Um, I know for myself personally, it was a huge reality check because I never thought he'd be elected. <clears throat> so I say that to say I think this is a time for very, very, very deep internal reckoning um, as individuals and as a society. And I think if we are not willing to be honest about who we really are and what that gap is between who we are and who we say we'd like to be, I don't think we'll ever be able to fill the, the, the promise um, of America, quite honestly. I don't think we'll ever be able to grow up. Right, and so well, and, and the, as of right um, now, if I could if I could add something to that, I, I, that was yeah. all amazingly brilliant. I mean, that was on point, every bit of it. Uh, I would just add to that: it, it's not only um, <laughs> that we have to figure out how we get from point A to point B and make the the vision and the narrative a reality. It's that we have to be radically honest about how long we've been lying. Because let's be honest, yes. we were saying that we were an yeah. equal opportunity society even during the era of Jim Crow. We swore that you could be anything you want in America even during the period when women could not vote, when black folks were being burned out of their neighborhoods for moving to the north during the Great Migration and being lynched. We have always said one thing and done another, and we clearly are not being honest about it. We have a man who was just elected on okay. a motto that says, make America great again, which tells me that there are millions of people in this country, overwhelmingly white, 
disproportionately male, overwhelmingly straight, no doubt overwhelmingly Christian, who believe because their lives in the past, their identities were hegemonic in the past, that everything was fine, and they are able to overlook the humanity and the lived experience of millions of their countrymen and women. That's what James Baldwin meant when he said these innocent people are trapped in a history they do not understand, and until they understand mm-hmm. it, they cannot be released from it. That is our trouble, is we are not radically honest. And in fact, we are not even mm-hmm. remotely honest. And until we come to grips with our fundamental fraud, not just the lie that we tell the world, the lies we tell ourselves, we will never grow up. I completely agree. Powerful exchange there, you two. And, you know, I, I think the point has been well made uh, around uh, the, the, the ground of truth that's needed to move forward. I want to do a couple things. One, I want to transition, bring Vera into the conversation, and I want to uh, also bring in another idea introduced from your writing, Tim. And in this idea, I think, you know, we can all work with until we end the show. No revolution in the history of the world has developed from beneath a soil watered with contempt for people when hopes to organize. Quite the contrary. Revolutionaries always start with a love for the people and a love for the nation they seek to change. To me, that sounds like an absolutely different enabling environment for the transformation needed to become fully human. What about you? Let's, uh, listeners, I'm asking that to you. I'd like to introduce Vera de Chalambert to come and build and expand upon the conversation and bring in her own unique perspectives. And then we're going to hear more from all of our guests as we close. Uh, Vera, I'd like to introduce you before bringing you on, but we want to get you quickly into this conversation because it's heating up now. Uh, yes, thank um, Vera, you have held a master's degree from Harvard Divinity School, and you work closely with your clients on spiritual direction. You are a mindfulness facilitator, spiritual storyteller, and, of course, have studied uh, comparative religion. I want to get you in so fast to this conversation and really ask for you to go ahead and begin building upon the ideas presented thus far, and uh, we'll go into the next segment after you have a chance to comment. Thank you so much for having me on, Myra, and thank you both so much for your insight. Um, I, I think that this moment that we're living us, we're living currently is pregnant with possibility um, only if we allow it to cook us in a way in which we're given an opportunity to um, by being as unsettled as we all have suddenly become with this election, uh, as you mentioned, Detoy. And there is this kind of tendency in us to rush over things, to go for the hope, uh, prematurely perhaps. And I think there is a way in which we can only have the transformation that we're all hoping to have if we let ourselves rest in the unsettled if we let ourselves rest in the dark and the unknown that this moment is presenting us with, 
Ralph Waldo Emerson said, only to the degree that people are unsettled is there any hope for them. And so I see this moment as, uh, as a great medicine, a medicine that we deeply needed so that we can have a more honest discourse. Um, I recently wrote an article called Kali Takes America, which is how Myra uh, found me, how we connected. And so what I see as happening collectively, I'm always interested in what are the sort of the, the collective emergences that are happening. And for me, the dark feminine is rising on the planet right now. And that's perhaps All right. So, Vera, thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to hold on to that thought, and we're going to sure. take a break. And we'll come back to continue the conversation with Tim Wise, Ito Original, and Vera Deschalambert. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Hello. We hope you are enjoying this series on the convergence, uniting the tribes in the interspiritual age. For those of you looking to take a deeper dive into any of this amazing material, Dr. Kurt Johnson has created an entire online learning program called Interspiritual Mastery, and we are thrilled to be hosting this course on our new education platform, One God Academy. The Interspiritual Mastery program will take you on a guided journey through the amazing developments in spirituality, ecology, indigenous wisdom, and more giving you a window seat to the dawn of the interspiritual age. For more information on this exciting new program, please go to onegod.com. That's the number one, G-O-D.com. And follow the links to the Academy. Join us in changing the world through the work of waking up and growing up. And let us all strive to unite the tribes in this interspiritual age. Hi friends, this is Ben from onegod.com with a special announcement. We hope you're enjoying this radio series, The Convergence, a journey of waking up and growing up with Dr. Kurt Johnson and friends. Many of the ideas that have gone into making this series had their original expression through Kurt's landmark book, The Coming Into Spiritual Age. It's a modern-day spiritual classic full of inspired thinking and heralding an optimistic future right within our grasp. As a special gift to listeners of The Convergence, Dr. Johnson is giving you the first four chapters as a gift. In these first 50 pages, Kurt and co-author David Ord lay out the framework for their grand, integrated, interspiritual vision, a vision that Ken Wilber says might very well change your world. To get your free download of this incredible gift, just go to onegod.com, that's the number one, G-O-D.com, and follow the links. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are tuned in to The Convergence. You may connect with our program today by calling toll-free 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send us an email to info at onegod.com. That's I-N-F-O at the number one, god.com. Now back to this week's program. Well, welcome back to The Convergence. This is Myra Jackson. And 
We're going to wrap it up with our conversation with Tim Wise, Eto Original, and Vera Deshaun Lambert. And we had Vera talking with us, and I'd like to take it back to, to you, Vera. Uh, you ended with uh, bringing in this uh, little recognition of the, the feminine, and I really do yeah. want you to continue with your thoughts. So the, 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 what is collectively emerging on our planet in our collective consciousness at the moment is the dark feminine, which is not surprising to me because it's specifically what has been oppressed, both the feminine and, and the qualities of darkness, our capacity to stay with the unknown. And so it's interesting because it's emerging in many different parts. On one hand, what we see are these movements that are taking over the planet, social justice movements. We have Black Lives Matter. We have Standing Rock, both of which, by the way, have been started by dark mothers, by, dark, by, by women of color, by indigenous women, who are this movement of consciousness that's rising and that's saying, no, enough is enough. That is, that is embracing, that is standing with the vulnerable on the planet. That's really embodying the divine, divine feminine at this time. And, uh, I believe that that is the impulse within us from which more truth can arise. This place, because although we think that light is where everything needs to happen, it's really in the darkness where illusions get, get, get shattered. It's really in the core of our being, in the bone of our bones, where truth lies. And um, that's not typically places that are illuminated. Those are places that are shrouded in mystery with which I believe we need to become more familiar so that our actions can rise from deeper in so that this great call that I feel is happening on the planet right now uh, can be answered from deep within our core. Thank you for bringing in the aspect because there are the symbolic aspects to to darkness and color that uh, we could spend a whole show or more talking about, and thank you for introducing it. We did promise... I just wanted to add, to add one thing that... Oh. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to, uh, in this round, this is our final round, uh, go to you, Etoy, and, and hear your final thoughts on the segment today, this fast-moving segment. There's something really powerful um, about what Vera just alluded to in terms of being able to rest in the unsettled and becoming comfortable with the dark. I think one of the challenges that we have um, as individuals and as a society um, is the ability to own the dark, to be comfortable with the dark. We're taught to run from the dark, to dedicate the dark, to shop away the dark, to hide from the dark, to basically do whatever we can to run as fast as we can away from the dark and to instead seek out the light or what we've come to believe is the light. And I think this is part of what we see manifest um, many times in our policy, um, you know, in, in our, our institutions, in our world. Um, we focus so much, um, as Vera said, on getting to the hope, getting to the possibility of who we are, that we don't stop to actually examine if we are truly 
being um, that vision, if we're really living up to that vision. And so I think as individuals learning to become more comfortable with our shadow selves, with our darker selves, being honest about the fact that racism exists, sexism exists, you know, homophobia, that basically oppression exists, that although we may aspire to be a society of equals or society that treats everyone equally and gives everyone an equal chance, that that is not who we are um, all the time, I would say, or who we've been living as for the last 200 years. And I think that single truth will allow us to shift a lot of um, the real dark energy that's rising up right now in our country, um, where instead of embracing that darkness, people are running from it. I think that's what, what you see. And this isn't just specific, I think, to just the white community. I think there, you know, there's internalized racism, sexism, homophobia. This, I think, applies to all of us on different levels. But just in the context of the national um, psyche right now, I think the white backlash we're seeing, not just in the U.S., here in the U.K. and across the world, is a fear of losing um, a place of perceived superiority, right, which is... Um, threatened by having to confront that which is dark within the self, um, within the history of institutions, of the ancestors, um, within, you know, really the DNA of, of our country and our, of our society. And it's almost like until we make it acceptable to own that part of ourselves, we are not going to heal. We're not going to move past this. We're just going to keep recycling it. And, you know, potentially, I don't know, I, I, I hate to go to worst case scenario, but I think we could move to a place as a society of really, really um, running so um, strongly from ourselves that we actually clash and create more war and create more terror and create, unfortunately, um, even more pain instead of just facing yeah. it and dealing with it. So, so yes, those I want are my to bring thoughts. Tim in because you're bringing in these wonderful points and thank you for what you've just uh, marched out for us. Uh, very good synchronicities between the two, of, uh, uh, between what Vera has shared and yourself, Etoy. Tim? Well, I know we don't have a lot of time, so let me try in what I think is about 40 seconds (laughs) to to try to sum up. Um, I think the the, and I'll bring it back to race uh, because that's the area that I focus on, but all of this is obviously applicable to class and gender and every other possible identity, uh, dyad and triad on the planet. I think that when it comes to white supremacy or when it comes to class supremacy, those who have exercised hegemonic dominance are very afraid of the uncertainty of losing that. It isn't a fear of losing opportunity. It's a fear of losing dominance and hegemony. And, you know, white supremacy has forced white people to suppress empathy. Um, Going back to the days of enslavement, people who were otherwise good human beings having to lose empathy in order to maintain a system of oppression against their fellow brothers and sisters on this planet. And I think that until we realize the damage that losing empathy for others does to the self, because when you can't empathize with others, you can't empathize with your own pain, with your own children, with your own family, with your own neighbors. I think until we recognize the cost of that suppression, even to ourselves, uh, we're going to be in real trouble. 
Thank you. I, I, you could not have ended in a better place, Tim. And that's, you know, how familiar you are with what you've been uh, speaking about and working on for these decades. I appreciate all of the guests here who have only started on a conversation around that place of becoming fully human and to end with compassion, to end with empathy, to end with the idea of being able to sit with what's true is to me the next step of maturing our species. So I thank you. And we will uh, say goodbye and we'll look for another opportunity to uh, have this conversation continue. It's an important one. And listeners, I hope that uh, we've given you something of an uncommon taste conversation on race. All right. Myra and Etoy and Vera and Tim, that was really uh, that was really amazing and very meaningful to me because I uh, myself come from an immediate family that's multicultural and multiracial, so this is uh, this is right at home for me. Um, always with the conversations on the convergence like this, they're too short and we want to address that, so I'm going to actually be in touch with Myra one of the options that we have is that we can shoot a split-screen video of all of you, and you don't even need to be in the same place, and you can continue this discussion without the time limits. Um, we've done that with a number of guests, so I'll actually be talking to Myra about that. She can get back. Those can be followed, listeners, as you know, by uh, just checking at onegod.com slash convergence at what's called continuing the conversation under this particular episode. So listeners, keep watching for that, and I'll be in touch with these four amazing uh, uh, spokespersons to try to continue that conversation. Now, next week, we're going to be hosting a similarly important discussion on eco-spirituality and the global environmental crisis. And our guests will be the famed uh, climate activist, Karenna Gore, who was so capably carrying on the work of her father, Nobel Prize winner Al Gore, and the renowned eco-theologian, Reverend Michael Dowd. Our co-host will be Dr. Richard Clugston, who's one of the world's authorities on sustainability, and he'll be joined also by shaman and environmental activist Mindahi Bastido Munoz and by Japanese activist Ken Kitatani, who's the founder of the UN Forum 21 Institute. So join us for that exciting program next week. And in the meantime, we hope you have a truly meaningful Martin Luther King holiday. Thank you for joining our team, Dr. Kurt Johnson, Ben Bowler, and Doug King for The Convergence. We invite you to tune in again next Thursday at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for another edition of the program. Until we talk again, have an outstanding week. They'll put a price now on the sun Elections read like tragedies Democracy wakes up diseased Yeah, yeah, yeah Thanks again for listening to the preceding program Brought to you on the 7th Wave Network For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com.
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.